let's continue our story in Luke's Gospel. As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him, which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Well, thank you, Ev. Uh, Good morning, friends. Pete Stedman, Senior Minister here. Uh, Wonderful to be able to celebrate uh, this Good Friday with you. Thank you all for coming. Uh, You'll know that there are some stories that just capture people. Uh, If you have kids, if you've raised kids, you'll know that there are certain stories that kids return to night after night after night after night, and uh, they know how the story ends. In fact, they know every word of the story because the story has captured their imaginations. So when my kids were young, they used to love me reading to them this book, My Dad, which I ended up knowing off by heart. And so did they. And they couldn't read. They just knew the story. Some stories are really powerful, aren't they? They get into us. They captivate us. And the best stories make us see the world in a different way. Make us consider our lives in a different way. I think this is what makes the ABC TV show Australian Story such powerful viewing, it just gets into you. It transports you into the life and shoes of someone else. It leaves a mark on you. And there is something about the Good Friday story that does the same. That story of the death of the man Jesus Christ. That story has captured people. 
Now, how do I know this? Well, two reasons. Firstly, name another story 2,000 years old or more that you can name five things about. That's actually pretty hard to do. But you can do it for this story, even if you don't know this story that well. Something about a Last Supper. Something about a rooster or something in there. Something about a crown of thorns. Something about a cross. Something about an empty tomb. Look, I just want to say, even if you don't know much, that is a fair bit of detail that you do know for a story that happened 2,000 years ago. There's something about this story that has meant that it's found its way into the collective consciousness of many people in our culture. But there's a second reason why I know this story has left a mark on people. You're here. On a public holiday. When you could be anywhere else. But for whatever reason, you are sitting in a church, remembering what happened on a day 2,000 years ago. This story has drawn us all together. And the question is, why? Why does this story capture us? I mean, it's ancient. It happened a long way away from here. It happened in a culture that we are barely familiar with, if we're honest. There's been plenty of similar stories that have played out over the centuries, much closer to home, uh, much more recent, much more culturally relevant. None have the power of this one. None have the significance of this one. What is it about the Good Friday story that causes us to stop, pause, and even come to church on a public holiday? I mean, some of us only ever come to church on this day. Where's the power in the story that makes that happen for us? Surely it's not merely a cultural phenomenon. No, I actually think it's a lot deeper than that. And I think there's stacks of reasons why this story has the inherent power that it does. And this morning, I just want to point out three of them. Three things that set this story apart from others we hear. Three reasons why my four kids will remember this story forever in a way they probably won't remember the story of my dad. Here's the first. Do you know that wired into our brains is a love for a rescue story? Did you know that? So whether it's the damsel in distress or the person on top of a mountain, humans are drawn in by stories where people are stuffed and need to be saved. Now, Hollywood recognised this a long time ago. They've made lots of money out of you and me recognising our love for these stories from astronauts, to soldiers, to rock climbers, to sailors, almost all of them Tom Hanks. Uh, it's... <laughs> this is a fact. It's a question of will they make it? What will happen if they don't? Th that is the Good Friday story. From start to finish, a rescue story, a story of God entering into this world, actually, more than that, of God entering into humanity in the person of Jesus so he could rescue people who were dying. Save people who are perishing. 
But this story isn't any normal rescue story. It's a bit different to the Hollywood line because in Apollo 13, in Saving Private Ryan, in 127 hours, people can't wait to be rescued. They can't wait. They know without their rescuer, they're going to die. They love it when the rescuer comes. In the Good Friday story, that is not the case. They are not thankful to the rescuer. They actually despise him. So Jesus dies to rescue people, and as he does, the very people he's dying to save publicly denounce him and reject him in the very act of the saving. We read that the crowd spit on him. That's not an ancient era sign of respect. And so as Jesus hangs on the cross, he cries out these famous words. You might have heard them. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he is saying it of the very people who are nailing him there. Forgive even them. And yet he still gives his life for theirs. He still dies that they might live. That is some rescue story. It's not the only reason the Good Friday story captivates. There's a second reason why this story has endured. And it's because embedded in this story is another thing that humans love. And it is the idea of a sacrificial sufferer. Okay? So stay with me on this. There is something haunting about the idea that an innocent person would willingly suffer and give their life for others. These sorts of stories always capture people like us. Let me give you an example. Uh, Many of you will remember in 2011, there was a nuclear disaster at the Fukushima nuclear power plant in Japan. So an earthquake followed by a tsunami damaged the reactor and caused a meltdown. Many people died. What you may not know is that in the days after the event, a group of more than 200 Japanese pensioners volunteered to tackle the nuclear crisis at the power station. So at a time when everyone else was running away from the radiation fallout, this group of men and women wanted to run in. They called themselves the Skilled Veterans Corps, and they were made up of retired engineers and other professionals all over the age of 60. Their view was that they should face the dangers of the radiation, not the young. The head of the Veterans Corps was a man by the name of Yasuturu Yamada, and he said this, I am 72, and on average, I probably have 13 to 15 years left to live. Even if I were exposed to radiation, cancer could take 20 or 30 years or longer to develop. It made worldwide headlines because that was such a remarkable position to take, that these 200 men and women would willingly place themselves in harm's way sacrificing their health, possibly their lives, for the good of their nation, was astounding. We love stories like that. That is what happened on Good Friday. A sacrificial sufferer gave his life for others. Now, that's why we saw in the video, uh, Pilate crying out to the crowd who were baying for Jesus' death, These words, why? What crime has this man committed? But you know, what happened on Good Friday was also very different to other sacrificial sufferers because what we read in the gospel is that Jesus wasn't just an extraordinary man, he was that, but he was also something more. He was also the perfect 
Son of God. That's the Bible's way of saying He is God Himself. And He was giving His life so that others could find theirs. God Himself in Jesus was dying for sin so that others would not need to die for their sin. Now, there's an elephant in the room right now. There's a problem before us. Uh, You start talking about sin in 2019 in Sydney and people start rolling their eyes. I haven't seen it. It's generally inward, uh, but that's what happens. Here's what you need to know. Whenever someone... uh, Sorry, whatever comes into your mind uh, about what sin is when you hear someone talking about it, is almost certainly not what the Bible means. Okay, that's just a great starting point. Whatever comes in your mind when you hear the word sin is almost certainly not what the Bible means. Because what, what we do is we hear this idea of sin and our mind goes to being naughty or something, swearing, kicking the dog, maybe murder, I'm not sure what it is. You just need to know that's not really what the Bible's talking about at all. It's much more serious than that. It's much closer to home than that. Sin in the Bible is this inbuilt tendency that I have, Pete Stedman has, to live my life with no reference to the one who made me. That's what the Bible means when it talks about sin. It's when I choose to live my life as if God were dead, functionally dead. Three weeks ago, My car was written off. My fault, I'm fine. One week ago, I bought another one. And as I was about to drive it out of the driveway of the guy's house in St. Ives, who I'd bought it off, he asked me, what do you do for a living? Always a great conversation starter. Uh, I'm a minister of a church, I said to him. And it's amazing how that just gives people the freedom just to say whatever they want about religion, God, whatever whatever comes in their mouth. This is what he said to me. He said, you know what? I just think you need to live your life And do what you want with conviction and know that God is there. Now, the engine was on. (laughs) Uh, I'm in reverse and it really... I'm happy to talk about that any time, but this just was not the time. Uh, I was just about to pull out onto uh, Monavale Road. But that response of his brilliantly articulated the heart of sin as the Bible describes it. And you might be thinking, well, I don't do that. No, no, no. I do that. That, This is what everyone does. The Bible tells me that this is the default way I live. I want to live my life however I want and just know that God is there if I'm a theist or just know that God is not there if I'm an atheist. This is what we all do. And that is the very reason that Jesus the sacrificial sufferer died on the cross because through him, God was making a way for the estranged relationship between me and him to be put right. It was the death of Jesus in Pete Stedman's place, in, on Pete Stedman's behalf, that was making all things right. It was the death of that innocent man, Jesus, that turned away God's anger at the way I have left God at arm's length my whole life. You see, Jesus' death rescues me from my sin and reunites me with my God. And that idea of a man dying in my place and on my behalf, that is haunting. It's probably why you're here. It's captivated the world for 2,000 years. 
But one more reason why this Good Friday story resonates, and I actually think it's probably the main reason that has given Good Friday its enduring nature, because think about it, there's been lots of rescue stories, there's been lots of sacrificial sufferers, but none of them have shaped the world like Jesus has. And the reason this story is ultimately different is because this story is all about you. That's the claim of the story. This story is all about you. The rescuer came to rescue you. The sacrificial sufferer suffered for you. This is all about you. And my guess is that's probably why most of you are here. And that's my guess why the story has dominated history as well as the calendar for more than 2,000 years. It's because whoever hears this story and deeply hears, really hears and comes to understand, comes to know that the story is actually about them and that Jesus is actually for them. That's what gives this story such weight and such enduring appeal. Yes, built into all of us is an attraction to rescue stories. Yes, uh, a sacrificial sufferer dies. They're both very powerful things. Yes, a, a sacrificial sufferer dies to rescue me. That's, that's powerful. But this sacrificial sufferer died for me. That's not just powerful. That's personal. You know, Hollywood and those movies, they're all about escapism. But this story doesn't let you escape. It grabs you and it pulls you in and it actually demands a response. You know, I have no idea why you're here today, but it's so good that you've come. Maybe you've been dragged along by that well-meaning religious relative. Good on them. Good on you for uh, putting up with it. Maybe you're here because it's a family tradition. But when you think about it, it's a pretty weird tradition that sees you sitting in a church on a public holiday, remembering a bloke who died 2,000 years ago. That's weird. In one sense, sitting here remembering the disgraceful murder of an innocent man is a pretty bleak way to spend a morning, if we're honest. But it is called Good Friday for a reason, right? It's because on this day, a very good God was putting a very bad world right. And on this day, a very good God was finding a way through the sacrifice of his own son's life for me to be rescued. That's why Jesus died. That's worth hearing. So if this is the first time that you've been along here to Norwest and this is the first time you've heard Easter and Jesus' death explained this way, I want to say that's fantastic and happy Good Friday to you. I'm about to pray. Uh, this is going to be an opportunity for those of us sitting here today who want to be brought back into a relationship with the God who made us and saved us to do that. So I'm simply going to pray that God will forgive us for our sin, not kicking the dog, but leaving God at arm's length. I'm going to thank him that he's done that through Jesus' death on the cross in our place, on our behalf. Now, can I say this won't be for everyone in the room? That's okay. If this isn't for you, you can just listen to what others are praying. But if it is for you, and if you're tired of dealing with the guilt that you carry but can't shake, if you're tired of working out what does your life really stand for, if you're ready to actually allow the one who made you to start being your God, then I want to say, as you pray this this morning, have no doubt that God hears you 
loves you and forgives you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Good and gracious God of all, we come before you this morning having been reminded of the lengths you needed to go through to save a wretch like me. Father, we admit that we have lived as if you didn't matter and were not there. We've sinned against you in the thoughts we think, the words we speak, the acts we do. And we are sorry. We've got nothing to bring to you to make up for this. Our hands are empty. Will you forgive us? Father in heaven, we know that we cannot do this on our own. In fact, without you, we are in big trouble. We need a rescuer. We need Jesus. Thank you that he took the punishment we deserved when he died on that lonely Roman cross 2,000 years ago. And we believe that only he can forgive us and bring us back to you without stain, guilt or shame. So Father, this morning we give ourselves to you, every part of us. All we have is yours. Help us to live for you in everything. We know we're going to stuff it up. We know we're going to make a mess of pretty much everything. Thank you that you don't call us to be perfect just for us to put our hope in you. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, can I say that if that's the first time or the first time in a long time you've prayed a prayer like that, it'd be really helpful to let someone know. One way you could do that is simply jot it down on the welcome cards, which we'll talk about later in our service, uh, and someone would love to be in touch and have a chat with you. Happy Easter. We're going to continue praying now. Thanks, Jodes.